everyone. Welcome to the Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Talon Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right, let's get into it. So today you're going to hear from Aaron Rose, who I found out about a little while ago, probably a year ago, I heard him speak for the first time. And then I joined a virtual like day retreat recently, and he was one of the speakers. And out of like 15 speakers that were on this retreat, he absolutely blew me away and brought me to tears with his talk, which was specifically about optimism. Um, I just feel like I don't say this about very many people, but I really feel like he's a channel and he's channeling when he speaks. So it, it was such a privilege to be able to sit down with him and just get a taste of how he perceives life. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about him before we get into our conversation. Aaron's had a really lifelong devotion to social change issues. As a youth activist, a community organizer, a diversity and inclusion specialist, conflict resolution mediator, and leadership coach for changemakers. Um, he's also a spiritual advisor for so many public figures and has been featured in just everything. Uh, I'm so happy that he's sharing his wisdom on this scale. And his real overarching mission has been to heal our world's generational patterns of separation. Um, and suffering really so that we can all thrive as our most authentic selves. So in this episode, we talk about overcoming the fear response, especially as it relates to religion and what Aaron's relationship with God looks like now and, you know, how that intertwines and weaves throughout his entire life um, and the power of prayer and communication with source energy we also get more into optimism and reframing spiritual bypassing and leaving behind a victim mentality and finally releasing energetic bonds to people and places and things. So that's kind of the gist of what we'll get into, uh, but I know you guys are going to enjoy this one. As always, if you feel like you learned something new from this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend, spread the love, and if you feel called, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever, um, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review, whatever you want to include. So thank you so much for being here, sending you so much love, and I'll talk to you on the flip side. The first question I'd love to ask people is, how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to? Yeah, so my day always starts the moment I open my eyes. It's just like direct to God, just giving thanks for the fact that I'm alive and that I'm still here. And sometimes it's like I wake up with that big smile on my face and I'm like, thank you, God, I'm here. Like, can't wait to have a great day. And sometimes it's like, I'll sit there and kind of, almost with that energy of like, if you're a little grumpy and someone's trying to give you a hug and you're like, mm, okay. And then, and I sort of work my way up into remembering kind of finding my center again. Um, but I find that praying out loud, giving thanks for being here and setting the intention to have a beautiful day. Um, and then I also will say what's known as a third step prayer in 12 step traditions, which is God, I offer my life to you to build with me and do with me what you will relieve me of the bondage of self so that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of your power, your way, your power, your truth, and your way of life. May I do your will always. Amen. 
And that's like one of the first prayers that I said when I came back to God. And um, I find that it's just, it's, it's very humble and devotional on one level, but it's also very like, I love how it's, I think colloquially I could say that it's like saying, God, like flex through me. Like I'm ready, like show people how great life can be when you're aligned with God, when you're aligned with love um, and use me, right? I'm here to be of service. So that's like within the first couple of seconds of waking up, I do that. Then I make sure I get some good, good water in my body, usually stretch. And then I usually go right into some kind of meditation. Sometimes that's like just silent meditation. Sometimes if my mind is already very active, I'll do something that's more like a subconscious reprogramming meditation or something like that, just to kind of remind myself what dimension I prefer to be in. (laughs) And then um, I'd say the other really non-negotiable part of my, of every morning is morning pages, which is a practice from the book, the artist's way by Julia Cameron. And it's basically just three pages of longhand writing where you just put the pen down and you just let it flow. And for me as a writer and just someone who's very cerebral and loves my words, um, it's really, it's, I've been doing it now for, almost six years and it has just made the biggest difference in terms of my mental clarity and also in terms of my creativity. So I'd say those are sort of the core things, but sometimes I look up and it's like 2 PM and I'm still doing quote unquote <laughs> my morning routine. Cause I'm just kind of flowing and I like things like getting out in nature, drinking celery juice. Uh, but those are the, those are the core things. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I love that you immediately are talking about prayer and source energy and God. And I'm the same way. I feel like that's just a beautiful way to just connect and set your intention for the day and remind yourself of, like you said, what vibration you want to be in. So what do you perceive God or source energy to be? Like, what is your relationship with spirit like? Mm, My relationship with God is so multidimensional. And I always like, you know, God can be a word that's very triggering for people. Religion has done us dirty. We have a lot of stuff that we're all healing, I think, as a collective. And so I always like to say that for me, the relationship with God, and I think everybody has a right to have a relationship that feels really intimate and really personal where in the same way that, you know, when you really love someone and if someone comes up to you and, and is like, why do you love them? You might have some things to say, but you also might feel like, I don't know if I can even put that into words completely, right? There's so much, right? There's so much history. There's so much life together. So I do relate to God in that kind of beloved way where I can point to how God shows up in my life, which is I know that when I use my free will voice and I say what I choose and I surrender my life to God and I say that I'm here to be completely devoted to love everything seems to work out. And the more I turn over to God, the more I I ask for support, the more supported I am. And I'm getting full body chills as I say this. And I know, I feel deeply that I'm part of a larger creation. There's a creator, far be it for me to completely understand. I'm just looking outside at all the nature around me, why all of this was created, how it was created, but I know that I'm part of a really great mystery and that there is a very clear relational intelligence behind that mystery. And to me, my relationship with God is I was raised in Catholicism, which is very controlling, very dogmatic. So it's really interesting to me to finally be at a place where I'm so devotional to God. Like there really is this, I have a huge amount of respect and a huge amount of 
just commitment to doing right by the reality that I found myself in. So that's one version of an answer to that question. I feel like I could have given like 12 others, um, but that's right now, that's what, that's what it feels like. And I, and I, I just, I love God. That's all I can, that's all I can really say. Yeah. So it's, I love knowing that you were brought up in the Catholic church. Was there a shift for you when you were like, this isn't resonating with me so much to be in a church. What was that transition like into, I guess, more of a spiritual um, realm? Like, how would you describe that? Yeah, I'm smiling because it's, it was quite the ride. I always felt out of place in the church. I remember being three, four years old and looking up, I grew up in New York City and we used to go to these big old Roman Catholic churches. And I can remember how hard the pew was, like the, the bench, the wooden bench. And I remember lying there and looking up and just seeing this like giant ceiling. And then there's just Jesus being tortured in front of everybody and um, all these paintings and all this gold. And I just remember always feeling really sick to my stomach in church. I actually used to get sick and throw up in church sometimes. And I wasn't really a sick kid, but I would have this like anxiety reaction to being in church. And I remember at that very early age looking up and everybody else was singing a different song. And I was singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And at that age, it was like that feeling that you get when you're like, the vibe is off and I need to correct the vibe. Uh (laughs) Or like, I don't want to be a part of this. And so I'm kind of doing my own little Thing. And that was such an early age. And my experience, you know, I had a pretty tumultuous, traumatic experience with my family growing up. And I always felt like everybody was sort of talking about love, talking about God, but I had that innate inner child feeling of like, this isn't love. What you're doing and what you're saying aren't matching. And I felt that about my experience of church. I felt deeply unsettled by the energy that was in that space. And as I got older, I sort of began to put more intellectual understanding behind that in terms of understanding the connection of with the Catholic Church and colonialism and all kinds of nefarious things happening on on earth. And I really fought my parents like we were required to go to church every single Sunday, all kinds of consequences. If we didn't, we were required to serve the church in some way. So to do readings or be an altar server. Um, And it was a constant source of just distress in my life. And it culminated really, by the time I was about 18, 19, I was coming out as LGBTQ in a variety of ways, in a way that really ran counter to sort of the innate programming within my family where there was just such a fear response to me stepping outside of the box in any kind of way. Um, And I had so much resentment, so much anger, so much frustration with the church. um, And I really just associated it with with control and and manipulation and hypocrisy. And people, sometimes people would say to me, oh, I see Jesus in you. And I was like, I don't even know who Jesus is. Like there's just, there was just so much, it felt so shrouded in, in darkness and, and in pain. And so I spent really my late teens, early to mid twenties being initially 
some, like I really tried atheism on for size. I was like reading my Richard Dawkins. I was like, this is all an illusion, (laughs) but it kind of fell by the wayside. And I just, I was fairly um, agnostic for a while, kind of detached from the entire spiritual realm. But at the same time, my path was, I was an activist. I was so committed to love. I was like, there's things that are wrong with this world and we can change them. And I was in the people who inspired me were people who had deep spiritual roots. And so even when I thought I was leaving spirituality, I was still deeply spiritual. You know, I was reading MLK speeches about serving God and, and loving people the way that God loves people um, and, and many other leaders like that. And so it was really by the time I hit my mid twenties that I started to make meaning of spirituality again and and begin that process of as an adult who was a little bit less in that victim role of just like, I need to run away from this entire thing because I don't feel safe. I was, I was, I was able to begin to weave my own relationship with it. And it really did feel like God called me back and, and helped me figure all of that out. So Mm. again, one version of a very nuanced story, but, but that's the trajectory. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, one of my favorite messages that you bring to your community and your audience is optimism. And um, that's one of the things you talked about on the Almost 30 retreat that I first found you at. And, um, you know, I think there's some potential guilt in, in the spiritual community around being really optimistic because it might be seen as a form of spiritual bypassing or, um, you know, not really acknowledging the darkness or the heaviness that is innate to the human experience. So how do you, uh, you know, help us understand why optimism is so powerful and how did you personally come into this place where you can be so optimistic after, you know, having this fear-based programming? Mm. Yeah, I love the conversation about optimism. I love anything that is a, I love being compelled by a question that I know I'm meant to ask without fully having lived the answer yet. Like to me, the call towards optimism feels very divine, feels very much part of my destiny. And, and it feels like something I'm going to be living for a long time because there's so much pain and suffering on earth, obviously. But what brought me to a place of optimism on one level, I think I've always had it. I was like, there was just this tenacity in me that was like, not going to take no for an answer, not going to surrender to the suffering that I was experiencing. Um, and always was sort of looking for another way of making meaning and, and delighting and, and having wonder in the world. But it really began to shift for me when I started to get into quantum physics and understand just basic vibrational law and to understand, wow, there really is a realm of perfect peace. There is this this unified field of love that we have access to. And some people just experience it as the field. Some people experience it as love. Some people experience it as God. But I just started to feel within my bones, oh, that's, that's the real reality, that love is all that is real. And I started to really understand, okay, our thoughts and, our, and which become beliefs, which become these sort of habitual patterns are actually the building blocks of this holographic experience that we're having here. And I started to experience that in my own life where I had had really intense experiences of violence, getting attacked on the streets of New York City, feeling just so at the effect of my reality, just like the world was out to get me. And as soon as I became willing to consider that I had some power in that situation and that I could 
begin to be willing to tell a new story, even if I didn't understand, like, okay, how are all these haters going to stop messing with me? Noticing that there was a part of me that was on one end of the magnet of those situations. And as I started to play with my magnet and I started to play with, okay, what if I wasn't telling a story that I was always getting attacked? What if I was telling a story that I was surrounded by love? What if I was willing to believe and, and I had faith that God was going to back me up in having an experience of peace. And when I did that, my life started to change in ways that I never thought that it would. And so those sort of small building blocks within my own life are, are what has really led me to feel like optimism is the only realistic orientation towards the problems of the world. And it's not about bypassing, but it is about What's the difference between observing what's here now and kind of our ultimate story about what's possible? Can we tell a miraculous story where we're always turning back to or sort of reaching forward towards the highest outcome rather than accepting how things are as how things are always going to be? And it's not always easy to do that, but that's both my orientation and my commitment at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah such an important conversation to have. And I think you're such a great person to ask these kind of difficult questions with because you've been through it. You've literally been through it. So how can we help people who are in this victimized mindset? Because it is very, there's a lot going on in the world, you know, for black people, people of color, um, LGBTQ community, like for people who are, are kind of literally being victimized in really difficult circumstances that, you know, is, perceivably a societal issue like how can we help people in those circumstances to rise above that victim mentality and understand that they are in the driver's seat um, and to take that first step into having faith that everything is working out for our highest good Mm. it's such an important question and it's one that i'm really living quite a bit these days and i'd say especially to anybody listening who may feel a little bit triggered by this conversation or, or just sort of not fully connected to the idea that we do have power, that we do have a God who's backing us up, that we do have a reality that's designed to respond to our choice. Um, And that sometimes we can get that on a personal level where we're like, yeah, okay, I can design my reality so it's easier for me to get a parking spot. But can I design my reality so that I'm not at the effect of literally generations of traumatic, fear-based, oppressive programming and control? A Course in Miracles says that there's no order of difficulty in miracles. And from one perspective, I believe that's true. But from another human perspective, I want to acknowledge the parts of us that feel like we're really up against a lot. And I'm really, when I start this conversation, I always am looking for this place of willingness too, because I'm not really trying to convince anybody, right? It's like if we're in a place where someone is saying, that they, how do I want to say this? Yeah, if if someone's in a place where they're not, that these ideas don't make sense or they're not interested in shifting their perspective and they have a model of social change that feels like it's working for them, I'm never going to be, I'm not going to be evangelizing a different perspective. But if someone's curious, I would say it always starts with willingness, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts with understanding that the story that we're telling is the story that we're living. And so getting curious, okay, what are the stories that I'm telling and how can I see those stories not as, and and my agency in them, not as a way of turning blame back on myself, but as yet another lever where I can find 
my power against this system that has been controlling me. Because it's not just that we have institutionalized racism and institutionalized sexism and all of the other systems of violence that are occurring on this planet in their structural form. Those structures came from the realm of thought and belief initially. And I know for me, as someone who's been LGBTQ in a, in a variety of ways, you know, I had to look at myself and say, okay, what part of me is actually believing the oppressor story? What part of me thinks that it's, I'm more likely to die at a young age because of who I am? What part of me thinks that this is normal, even though I hate it, what part of me thinks it's normal? And so starting to, some people would call this decolonizing our minds, right? Starting to say, okay, where is the oppressor still living within my consciousness? And am I willing to tell a story that I'm not at the effect of these systems? And I think that where personal development has kind of glitched some of us is that it's so individual and so personal sometimes that we're like, wait, okay, am I just getting out of the system and leaving other people behind? It can feel that way, but can we tell a story that we're all getting free together? Can we tell a story that by loosening these chains of oppression within my own consciousness and my own life, I'm making space for other people to do the same? And can we, yeah, really even surrender that kind of bind of, you know, if I get free, other people aren't getting free, but under understanding how intricately intertwined our, our liberation all is. And, and having gentleness and patience with ourselves as well, where I think eat, and any little step that we can take towards allowing a little bit more love, a little bit more freedom into our lives is deeply of contribution. And we're, we're seriously breaking massive generational curses these days. So shout out to everybody doing the work. Shout out. Oh, Aaron, that's so powerful. And I think it's really you know, brave and, and it's so important that you're willing to share that with us because I think a lot of people are just a little bit timid to say something that might be shaking, shaking everything up a little bit. But, you know, I think we can all relate to this to some degree. There's generational trauma that we're breaking. Um, for example, for women, you know, it's get married, have children. And a lot of us, you know, millennials are, you know, saying, oh, is that a societal structure? Do I have to get married in my 30s? Do I have to have children? I, that's the conversation I'm having with women. So I think we can all take something from this, absolutely, and say, what stories are we re rewriting and how have our parents kind of like passed on these ideas and these thoughts and how am I holding myself victim here? And I have a choice. I love that you say, you know, there's, there's will behind something. We always have a choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and what I feel called to add here is that my perspective on this really developed over time because I was an activist from a very early age. I was angry. I, by the time I was, 14, 15 years old, I was like a self-appointed peer educator. I was going around on my lunch break and like skipping study hall to give presentations to my, to my peers saying, we have to think globally and act locally. Like here's this giant problem happening in the world that I'm gonna tell you about. And now here's a simple step that we can take. And from that I was doing you know, really big community organizing work, leading marches, chaining myself to government buildings. I eventually evolved from that into doing more diversity and inclusion work and really focusing on like, how do we build communities that are free from the autopilot of just this really deep bias that we've all inherited from our ancestors in different ways? How do we create liberation within our communities on a moment by moment basis? And it was in those spaces that I first had that approach of, okay, I got to change all these other people. There's the bad guys who think the wrong way, who are doing the bad things. And then there's those of us who are at the effect of those bad actions. 
And I would see that in coming up against that, we would sometimes have victories, but it didn't necessarily change our quality of life. We still felt on a nervous system level like we were in a never-ending fight. And I started to ask uncomfortable questions like, when are all of us going to be free, including the people on the quote-unquote other side? At what point are we going to reach that kind of idealized society that we say that we're fighting for? And who gets to decide who's excluded and who's included? And um, that was really what brought me to this point of realizing, wow, I actually have to take a, a significantly more loving approach to the work of changing these systems and understanding that all of us are impacted on a consciousness level and it's liberation work that starts internally because I could change someone else's behavior and then they might go off and, and be a better person and you know stop doing you know sexist and racist things in their workplace but if my consciousness still expected people like that to exist someone else was just going to come and take their place um, and so I've it's I like to share that because my quest for cracking the code of how to heal this earth is what brought me to this much more integrated sort of metaphysical approach from a more third dimensional um, behavior modification approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it all comes back to just having compassion, like you said, and staying in that place. And, and this last election and everything is, is particularly pressing us to say, how can we be more loving, more compassionate, especially with people that we don't agree with? And uh, coming back to the understanding that everybody is just doing the best that they can with what they know. So, you know, maybe it can be more about education in that case and bringing us back to that heart-centered space. You know, I'm also picking up on, you know, your confidence and, and activism takes confidence and a willingness to be seen by everybody. So where do you think that comes from within you? Where do you get your confidence? Mm. These days, I would say that my confidence comes from my surrender to God and from this deeply devotional relationship I have with reality. There's certainly things I do because I just want to do them, but there's also a lot that I'm doing because I've been called to do it. And I'm in a relationship with the field of love, with the wave of love that is all, I mean, it's all, we're in this eternal return to love and in a linear time sense, there's a wave of love happening. There's a progression through our bodies, through our DNA, through our lineages, through our communities right now where we are returning to love. And I know that I've been called to play a specific role. And so I do my best to be brave and to keep showing up. And when I don't feel confident or when I feel uncertain, I, I ask God to back me up. I say, please, give me the words. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? And, you know, even before coming onto this podcast, I had a moment of prayer and I just said, God, share what you want to share through me. Like, please let this be for the highest good, anything that happens in this space. And so when I do that, it starts to relieve me of any self-consciousness because I, I believe so significantly in the power of spoken intention and the way that that sets the field. And so if something weird happens or if I don't feel good, um, I know that I know that I wasn't there for the, for the wrong reason. And I'd say on a, on an earlier level, in some ways it is that same impetus towards love that's just been flowing through my life where um, there's been a part of me that has always just felt so clear that 
there's a better way and that we don't have to be suffering to the extent that we are. And I, I'm, if you're into astrology, I'm a quadruple cancer. And so wow. <laughs> there's so much, I, my heart is huge. My heart just deeply, deeply motivates me. And I just, I love earth. I love humanity so much. And, and I think that sometimes people with that have that heavy of a relational Mm. emphasis in their astrology and their soul design it's like our hobby is loving people and that's kind of what i feel is is the way that i show up is there's a ferocity and a tenacity and a, and almost a feeling of protectiveness over the innocent people of earth that makes me just yeah continue to show up even when my human self is like what's going on why am i doing this what's going to happen yeah. Mm, oh wow quadruple cancer i have never even heard of this this is amazing it like beamed right in i am a i'm a cancer uh sun and a cancer rising too so oh I'm, amazing I have a lot of cancer there yeah i feel that like that sensitivity off of you yeah i have oh, cancer yeah. sun mercury jupiter chiron wow oh yeah chiron too interesting yeah. yes and what's your human design out of curiosity do you know it yeah, my human design is I'm a 4-6 splenic projector. I'm a projector too. Oh, very interesting. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I immediately was like resonating with you. I was like, he's got great energy. So this kind of makes sense. And likewise, I love to meet other projectors who are like living their design and, and getting to share their wisdom with the world in a way that works for them. And yeah. Totally. Because projectors, I think going on a little tangent here, but we have a little complex sometimes with um, being seen and our, I think our issue is like waiting for the invitation sometimes. So I love meeting you and knowing that you're an activist and you're willing to put yourself out there and like bring other people into your, your community. So, so that we can just release that a false belief that we have to just be like, you know, stagnant until somebody asks us to perform or something. Completely. And that's what I love social media for is that it gives us, it's like this constant permission slip where I can show up and share, but just sharing in the form of almost an invitation to other people where like, I, I never, I never feel like I'm selling things to people. I'm always just like, I'm telling a good story that I enjoy. And if people want to come and join me, they're welcome to do that. But mm -hmm. I'm very clear on other people's sovereignty and, and just, you know, in that high self-worth kind of way too, where I only want to be hanging out with people who really want to be there on a personal level and a professional level. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I love that. I feel like projectors are really, we're playing such a unique role right now. I think I, I recently learned that projectors only came about as a type in the last like 200 years or so. So it's cool to be innovating in that way. Right. It's like you're giving up offerings instead of like pushing anything. I love that. I wanted to circle back to, because you were making such amazing points about your confidence and your connection with spirit. And, um, you know, I think that there's this great kind of almost like unity that you have so that you know that you're not alone. Like, and I love that you specifically ask for help. And I think that's a great tool that people can come away from this. And, and I'm resonating too with that, like, oh, next time I'm stuck, I should just ask and speak it and say, how can I be more supported spirit? How can you support me more deeply? Um, I was having Completely. this moment last night too. I'm about to launch a, launch a course next month. And I was having these moments of like, Am I, am I ready to teach this? Like, am I worthy of teaching this? Is this okay? And I was just like, okay, let me just like stretch. And it would have really helped me 
to ask for help and just ask for guidance in that way. And I was able to get into that space, but uh, it leads me into, I guess, another question for you is, how do you get yourself into the field? Like, what does your meditation practice actually look like? Or, or what do you do to actually intentionally drop in? Mm. Lately, I've been really motivated and inspired by the understanding of what many different mystics have called being fully human and fully divine. I think that a lot of us, when we hit a certain place in our spiritual exploration, we're all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, there's more than meets the eye and the soul. I consciously chose this. Like there's, been, there's all these dimensions, there's all these lifetimes, there's all this energy that's available. We just like, you know, take the elevator all the way to the penthouse and we just go up and out of our bodies and, and it can feel kind of like this dissociation. And I think especially because of how strong religious programming is for a lot of us, we can feel like to be spiritual, to be connected with God is like this thing that requires all this pomp and, and, and circumstance and all this ritual and being very formal. And I do appreciate a certain level of reverence and formality. And I also love just to show up exactly as I am. So sometimes, you know, I do, I'm out in nature and I've been in silence for hours and I'm just really, really present and I'm focusing on my heart and, and I just feel connected to everything. And sometimes I'm just like shaking salt onto the chickpeas I'm about to roast, like feeling just existentially weighted down by whatever human things are stressing me out. And I'm just like, yo God, relieve me of the suffering, please. Like, okay, here are all the things I'm thinking about. And I, I'm originally a New Yorker, so sometimes I like, I talk like that and I'm like, yo, <laughs> this is what's going on. And I, and I come exactly as I am. And I, that's one of the things I encourage anybody that I'm working with my clients is to kind of drop that feeling of like, okay, you know, it's the perfect time. It's the full moon now. And now I'm going to say everything that I want. It's like, for me, it's a constant conversation, constant mm -hmm. conversation. Sometimes I joke that anything that hits my inbox gets forwarded to God. <laughs> <laughs> for, for review right away and so and I think it's also it's like taking there's a sort of some people would call this like a new age distortion I think that language is a little fear-based but I think that there can be we can kind of get stuck in this place when we understand that our emotions and our thoughts create our reality where we're expecting ourselves to feel high vibe all the time and we're like I'm connected to God everything's fine and and I think that there's a lot of power in understanding that we can be connected no matter what our emotional state is and that we can be supported and that we're worthy of support. Even if we're like looking like a hot mess and we haven't properly meditated in five days, but we're saying, yo, please help me out. Um, there isn't the God that I am connected to isn't saying, Oh, well, your, your vibration is not calibrated perfectly to the frequency of 432 hertz and your heart chakra is out of alignment. So <laughs> we're not going to answer this prayer. Um, so, and I think that that's, you know, Jesus talked about how like the people who would go to heaven would be the ones who, who were like little children. And, I, and that's where I find that sort of childlike innocence, the way that kids are just like, the, you know, in a healthy relationship between child and parent. Kids are just like, yo, mom, like my pants are dirty, please change them. Like, I need this thing. Like, I love you. It's like, there's just a rawness to it. And that's definitely been my happy place and my growing edge in mm. the last year or two. 
Yes, I love that you bring up children as an example, because they're also such a great example of honoring emotions. Like if they need to have a tantrum, they just scream it out and they release it and like let it go. So how do you find yourself dealing with, you know, the heavier stuff, the shadow work and uh, obstacles that come, come into play because it's, it's part of our experience. So how do you approach that? Oh, I, I, I approach it for sure. I, the image that comes to mind is, so last year I was living on Kauai in Hawaii for most of the year and Kauai is, it's just the most beautiful place. You get there and it's, they call it the garden aisle. It's literally like heaven on earth, just garden of Eden energy. And obviously there's so many layers of around colonialism there that we could get into, but the nature itself is so sovereign, so powerful, so undeniably beautiful and idyllic. And yet it's changing all the time. Like you'll wake up, the birds are chirping, beautiful sunny day. You're like, oh, it's a perfect beach day. It looks like it's going to be the most amazing weather all day. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's just basically this island hanging out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean by itself. All of a sudden, a bunch of rain clouds blow through and it's like torrentially downpouring in this way where you're just like, am I going to fall off the side of this mountain? Because this is, it's so intense for five minutes, for 20 minutes, for an hour, and then it passes and then it's sunny again. And it doesn't change how sacred and beautiful, like the rainy weather isn't bad, right? It's yeah. just part of the expression. And, you know, we've heard that metaphor all the time. Um, but for me, I, I feel like I very viscerally lived it there. And I try to treat my emotions like that. It's like stop, drop and feel if I need to. And that's everything from like taking five or 10 minutes to go feel something to just, I'm driving my car and listen to a Harry style song, I'm bopping. And then all of a sudden I remember like something horrible that happened in the past and I just scream and I just let myself freak out even if it's just for like 10 seconds. And um, I try to really relate to myself like I am my own parent. And so if there's like that little kid in me who's like, I feel this way, there's one version of my parent who's like, okay, well, that's good to know. And we'll set you up an appointment and don't worry about it. And we'll go talk to the therapist about it in 10 days. And I need you to be quiet because I'm focusing on making money right now so that you can have a house and like that kind of more rigid structure versus just being tender and present with whatever's there. Yep, absolutely. And on that kind of note, what do you think your community is most struggling with right now? Do you see a theme in your community or your audience that like is kind of a ping for you? Like this is what a lot of people are up against. I feel like a lot of people are really, they're up against the programmed limitations of this reality of most of the people that I, well, I'd say that I kind of have two different groups of people that I work with. Some are you know, really well-established public figures who are navigating serving the collective and are navigating really receiving the collective's unhealed projections right now as they're in the public space and having people kind of purge their anger and their sadness and their parent issues and their authority issues out on them. So that's one category. And then the other category is folks who are everyday people who are, who know that they're here for something amazing, who feel called to greatness, to love, to making an impact and who are still just navigating everyday limitations, like navigating the trauma of their past, navigating the fact that their family thinks that they're going to hell because they're an astrologer, navigating the part of them that is still not sure if they want to be on earth, so they're not letting themselves make any money. Just those 
I think we're all really in the thick of knowing that we deserve a life that's really on earth as it is in heaven, a life where we get to be joyful, where we feel like the best of who we are, not in that kind of you know, luxury castle on a hill, I created my perfect life, I'm safe way, but in that way that allows us to be so generous and so present and just feeling like we're in right relationship with reality. And so I feel like it shows up differently for everybody, but I think everybody's kind of tapping on the fourth wall of their reality right now and saying, I know that things that I've accepted as just how it is, everybody's got something that has been just how it is, that feels dishonoring of their humanity and everybody's in deep reflection around what it would look like to release that and have a new experience. Mm, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of, I've been looking into cord cutting rituals almost and releasing people that are energetically bonded to us, you know, from our own kind of will anyways, or loops that go through our minds with certain people. Um, and I think that could relate to a lot of, you know, these, sticky issues and people having trouble kind of shifting into the next new paradigm that's going to better serve them. So when you're ready to release uh, circumstances or people that are no longer serving you, like how do you let them go with love and how do you make the choice to compassionately like move forward? Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, I love that question. And it's reminding me of, so I have a, a program called Holy Liberation, which is about exiting the matrix, returning to God, and really stepping into it, sort of part healing retreat, part leadership accelerator for people who are called to make a massive difference in this world and live a beautiful life while, while doing that. And we have a week called Holy Deliverance, where we get really specific into the way that our words and our consent has created the reality that we're in, where even 10 years ago, you could have said, oh yeah, that's so true. When someone said, it's not possible to make money as an artist. And you could still be at the effect on a certain level of the fact that you used your words to agree with that reality. Or even, I mean, quadruple cancer, <laughs> let's talk about the shadow side here. There's a part of me that loves to say to people, I will never leave you. I'm going to love you forever. <laughs> and that <laughs> <Yes>. kind of, <laughs> and it's true on one level, I, I love everybody forever. But on another level, you know, there's definitely, you can end up bonded to someone who you're not meant to be relationally connected to. Mm -hmm. So I think that sometimes it is an organic process, like healing a wound, like breaking a bone, healing it takes some time. And so I think there can be a lot of grace that we can invite in where we may notice that the attachment keeps coming up. And every time it does, we surrender it. Um, and I think sometimes we can also claim that it's just done right now in this moment and the willingness to have it be so. So for me, sometimes I will do, you know, just all YouTube core cutting meditation. My friend, um, Heather, also known as activation vibration has an yes. amazing, amazing cord cutting meditation. If you just search activation vibration cord cutting, you'll find it on YouTube. Um, so sometimes I'll do things like that, but for me, it's also, that's almost like what I would do. It's like once someone has left the house, that's to clean up the house and to kind of reset the energetic um, and the house meaning sometimes literally, but just the house of my energetic realm and, and my life. Um, and it just starts with the willingness saying, I'm willing to have a new experience. Yep, absolutely. I, I love I'm that you brought up. Them go. Yeah. Yep. And just and, stating that. Yeah. And, and just, and for me out loud, if you have a resistance to saying stuff out loud, 
that's always an interesting indicator to me because sound is so much more powerful than thought. Um, many, many traditions that. So if we can say it out loud, it really does have a very profound impact. At this point, I have to like, I was joking with a friend the other day. It's like, I have to really prepare myself when I say things like this now, because I do feel so calibrated with my voice. So if I'm like, I'm ready to have a new experience. This is what I want. It's like, okay, run for cover because <laughs> reality is about it's to happening. change. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the last thing I'll share is that there's a, a practice um, called Ho'oponopono, which is a Hawaiian prayer. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I think sometimes people say it in a different order, but that's the one that I like to do. And so if someone's just showing up in my space and I'm like, oh, get out, but they're still there or, and I'm just, it's like you, there's a part of you that feels like it's their fault that they're still in your reality, but you know that there's a part of you that's not quite done with them on some level. Um, I think sometimes people do stick around because it's not actually a complete release until we do it with love. So just thinking of them and saying, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And I'll, I'll go on walks and just say that for like one or two people for like an hour just to kind of, mm. yeah, just to be, yeah. be so in that good. intention to, to honor them as a reflection of who I am too. Like they're only in my reality bugging me <laughs> because there is a part of me that is also them. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many good things you just touched on. First of all, I love Heather's work. I, I interviewed her before. She's literally an angel. And I did her I cord cutting Heather meditation. So much. Shout, Shout out, out to Heather. She's <laughs> one of my like ride or die spiritual besties. Oh, Not she's even, awesome. Human, all the realms besties. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. So I did her cord cutting uh, meditation the other day, which is actually what's, you know, got that question going. That's beautiful. And, you know, I think it also relates to worthiness. I, at least for me, when I have uh, uh, people that are sticking with me for something or something's looping in my head, it's usually about me trying to be good enough for them or prove myself as better or like, you know, it's a whole ego trip uh, to kind of fight with that. So it seems to come back to worthiness so hugely and reminding yourself that you are good enough just as you are. Yeah, I love that. I love that reflection. So if I'm thinking about one or two people that I've been in the process of just coming to peaceful resolution with in my life recently, I've noticed, and you know, it's been many months in the making of just sort of closing the chapter that we had together and in, in a peaceful way. And I noticed that the more integrated I am with my own choices and what happened with us, the less I'm in a debate with them about our ideological differences, the more I'm just like, yeah, this is who I am. I don't need to like prove myself to them anymore. We're done. The the less and less they're they're in my mind, in my reality, and and I and I know that that's gonna gonna keep happening over time. So I think the worthiness and just actually feeling that we deserve to be at peace is mm. is huge. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, deserving to be at peace, and that's just a huge overarching theme here. Is like having us understand that we can actually create a peaceful happy life. It doesn't have to be so hard. It's like all this programming around, you know, you got to grind, you got to work hard to be successful or like love is painful, like all of these different programmings, like you were talking about with your community, just like realizing that we actually can cultivate kind of a heaven on earth and, and unite the two realms. And I guess that's where, you know, we talk about shifting to 5D or the great awakening, I guess how I perceive it is that we're just coming back more into love and alignment with um, 
the reality that we choose, which can be so peaceful. It doesn't have to be so hard. <laughs> yep. Completely. I, I totally agree. And I, that's definitely been a cornerstone of my work. And also that is the growing edge of my life always is I always say how we do the work is the work. You know, if we mm. are trying to create, and this comes back from being an activist and being in these activist circles when I was like 18, 19, 20, and just seeing people being like, we deserve to be treated right. And then we're all like not eating enough and we're not sleeping. And there's like yeah. shady, like abusive things happening within the activist spaces. And and I started doing these workshops called self-care for activists. And, and they were very controversial at the time because people really, there was this feeling of like, no, if we relax, we're not going to be okay. If we relax, the work's not going to get done. And so for many years now, I've been really living into the question of what would it look like to align our means and our ends so that if I'm living a peaceful life, the peaceful world I desire is a product of that. And, and really knowing that it's, our, it's a realm that we can access already. It's not necessarily something that we have to hustle our way to building. Mm. Yeah. And I think this can tie into your point about choosing your words really consciously and carefully um, and changing our words from like hustle to alignment or, you know, grind to just focus, intentional focus and, and shifting our perspective around that. Because sometimes I get in the way of myself too. And I'm like, well, I have to take action. I have to, you know, get to work, but it's like, okay, I can, I can sit and have just intentional focus. And that is, that's just the, the path of least resistance for getting something to come to fruition. So yeah, I love that you talk so specifically about making sure that your words are clear and that your intention is clear. Totally. And what I just heard and what you said is also ultimately this sort of love versus fear as the ultimate question that mm -hmm. we're living because, you know, I, I'm someone who is very peaceful on one level, loves to just be out in nature, floating in water, but I'm also a born and raised New Yorker and I got that like hustle swag kind of in me. And I know personally, there's a very different feeling when I'm like choosing to access that frequency and I'm like, yo, we're gonna get some stuff done. Like just, and, and really like waking up early, taking care of business when that's from a place of choice and love versus feeling like if I don't do that, I won't be okay. Mm -hmm. Or like, I have to do that because then things won't get done or like that sort of fear-based energy that can be underneath that, the way that we push ourselves. Mm. I wish I could remember her name, but uh, the Goop podcast, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's podcast just interviewed some wonderful author who was writing a book about um, the doers and like, uh, allowing yourself to step back from the to-do list and how so much of society bases their worth on that little check mark. And sometimes we'll even write things down that we've already done just to check it off. And like, yep, yep <laughs> I could, I'd do that. So it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And it's exactly all about love and fear. And are you placing, are you just afraid that your day, if it's not completed by the checklist is going to be a success or worthy of having lived it. So oh, such, such good points. Well, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you is, is there anybody who's inspiring you right now? Like, is there any teacher or book that you're reading or what's inspiring you the most right now? Mm, I love that question. I have my mainstays who always inspire me, which is probably a very Cancerian trait where it's like, there's people that have been with me for a long time. Those people include, I love Yoko Ono so much. She's 
you know, incredible artist. She's still around. Um, and some of her, the work that she did that inspires me, she did back, you know, in the sixties and in the seventies, but she's still creating. And she, for me, she's, she's an Aquarius. She's so innovative and she lives inherently that medicine of knowing that heaven is here if we choose it. You know, some of her biggest campaigns were imagine peace. Mm. Wars over if you want it, like really understanding that choice point. And so I love her and I hope one day to do big billboards of like of art around the country the way that the way that she did. Um, I love Bayard Rustin, who was he was one of MLK's kind of right hand organizers. He um, in in the civil rights movement in in America, he was black and he was also gay and he really just had such an integrated understanding of what created true change and he was a fighter and a revolutionary and he just like MLK and really people you know Nelson Mandela these people who have created real systems change he would speak about that alignment between means and ends he would say okay there's these people doing terrible things but if we want a society of peace we have to achieve it by peace and I just love, I love his writing. The last person I'll say is I love Walt Whitman too, because he was so in the miraculous. Like he, one of my favorite quotes of his is, um, as for me, I know nothing but miracles. Mm-hmm. And he was living in a world that was not miraculous in the same way that our world is not miraculous from one perspective. There was a lot of pain and suffering, um, but he was so devoted to seeing the good. And I think that what unites all of these people as well is the impact that they had on society while also staying in their own kind of artistic perspective and not feeling like they had to agree with the status quo and that they had to agree with um, the way things were. And I think that's one of the reasons why their work still resonates with me is because when you are connected to God, when you're connected to possibility, when you're connected to love, you're connected to the eternal. So your work is timeless. And mm. I love finding those people throughout history who've had that same thread. Other people I love, Nikola Tesla, Salvador Dali, MLK, Andre Lord. Yeah. So I, I tend to source my inspo historically these days. Oh, I love it. Thank you for the unique perspective here. It's awesome. And now I have a new reading list. I've been like diving into uh, art history recently. It's just been so fascinating, Um, especially like Michelangelo and his sculptures, like totally like what you said, finding people that like are divining, like channeling source energy in a way and like completely in alignment with that love frequency. So, oh, great recommendations. And then finally, uh, where can people find you if they want to work with you and get to know you? Yeah, so Instagram is where I post mostly daily. That's at Aaron X Rose. Uh, my website is theaaronrose.com. That's where you can get more info on my programs, working with me, all of that. And I always love to get a DM from folks when they found me through a specific podcast. So feel free to say hey. And yeah, looking forward to connecting with everybody. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. I'm just so grateful for you as a being in general, and I'm so happy that we got to chat today. So thank you so much for being here. Likewise, thank you for doing your divine mission and giving voice to you know all the people that you do through your platform. And I'm so glad that we got to do this. 
All right, you guys, thank you again for hanging out with us today. I hope you are leaving with, you know, a sense of optimism and an uplifting feeling and maybe you're feeling just more grounded and at ease. That's how I feel every time I hear Aaron speak. So I'm so grateful for that. Again, you can find him on Instagram at Aaron X Rose and his website is theaaronrose.com. So hit him up, check him out. He's awesome. I love the content that he posts. And I'm at Helen Denham underscore on Instagram and HelenDenham.com. And a couple other little things. I send out a self-care Sunday newsletter every weekend. So if you want to be on my mailing list, just head over to my website. You'll probably see a little pop-up and a subscribe button. And uh, let's see, you can find links to past podcast episodes there. Blog posts go up about every other week. There's links to my music. And uh, stay tuned because I have a little announcement coming in about a week. So I'm really happy that you're here and a part of this community. And I will talk to you on the next one. Sending you lots of love. Bye.